the things we forget most. In the 107th Psalm, we read in verse 8, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let your eyes drop down to verse 15. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Look at verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Would you look at verse 31? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. You sort of get the idea he's trying to impress something upon us, right? Verse 32, let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. The psalmist further declares in the 144th Psalm, verses 14 and 15, let there be no complaining in our streets. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Why do we forget most praise and thanksgiving? Psalm 107 and other psalms are a plea for praise. And I'm thankful for the reminder in our series on discipleship. There are three groups of people in our company today. The first group are those that cannot praise. They are spoken of in Proverbs 15:8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Sinners cannot praise. The living Bible simply says the Lord hates the gifts of the wicked. I trust you're not in that first company. If you are, you can change in a very brief time today if it is the desire of your heart. The second group are those who will not praise. We call them nominal Christians. 2 Samuel 6, 16 through 20, is the story of David and the children of Israel as the ark of the Lord was coming into the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. King David and the people were rejoicing and dancing before the Lord. Michael, Saul's daughter, David's wife, saw this carrying on and despised David in her heart. He made offerings unto the Lord and blessed the people in the name of the Lord, after which he went into his own house. Michael met him at the door and condemned him for his display. David's response to his wife was, if I could abase myself more, I would do it. If it would bring honor to the Lord, if it would bring praise unto the Lord. The last verse of that passage in 2 Samuel 6 declares that Michael remained childless to her death. Her lukewarmness killed life in her body. Her lack of praise unto the Lord evidently brought a curse upon her 
and she had no children till the day she died. I trust you're not in that group, that you're not a nominal Christian, that you can enter in with a pure heart and give praise and thanksgiving to God for all of his blessings in your life. We ought to be able to do that. The third group, of course, the group that always praises the saints of the Lord. In Exodus 15, the children of Israel had crossed the Red Sea. Moses stands on the other side. He composes and sings a song unto the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my song and is become my salvation. He is my God and I will prepare him in habitation. My Father's God and I will exalt him. That should be the story of every one of us. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will exalt him. Let us be in that company. At the dedication of the temple in Second Chronicles 7, 3 and 6, they worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. In Acts 16, 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Praise will open the door of the prison. Praise always sets the captive free. Praise brings with it healing for the body, healing for the mind, healing for the spirit. God is in the praises of his people. He dwells in them. The attitude of too many is, thankful for what? Look at the weather. Will it ever stop raining? Look at the national debt. What's the matter with those people in Washington? Is there anything anywhere to be thankful for? Well, I have two points in my message today that I hope will help you. Number one, praise and thanksgiving are biblical, therefore should be practiced. What you have read with us from the back of your bulletin, out of God's Word, are just a few of the marvelous declarations in the Bible about how we are to come into the presence of the Lord. John 4.23 declares that God the Father is seeking people to worship him. Psalm 37.4 declares we are to delight ourselves in the Lord, and when we do so, he will give us the very desires of our heart. Proverbs 15.15 says that when a man is gloomy, everything seems to go wrong. When he is cheerful, everything seems right. The Bible is so wise. When a man is gloomy, everything is wrong. When he's cheerful, everything goes right. Why do we have such a hard time with praise and thanksgiving? A little lady called the fire department in agitation one day. She said on the phone, come as quickly as you can. My house is on fire. Okay, said the dispatcher, just calm down. Tell us how to get there. She said, oh, don't you have your little red truck anymore? How do you get from gloominess to cheerfulness? How do you get from sickness to health? 
God is saying, don't you have praise anymore? Don't you have thanksgiving anymore? Because that's the way you get there. Through praise and thanksgiving unto the Lord. I'm here to tell you we still have it. It's still one of God's blessings. Now, I want to tell you why I think we struggle with this so much. Why it's hard for people to say to God, I love you, God, I thank you, God. Why it's hard for people to raise their hands and bless the Lord or to sing unto the Lord or make melody unto the Lord, as well as why it's so difficult to say I love you to your wife or your son or daughter or someone or thank you because it has to do with our will. We have to will to do this. Our natural man must feel like doing something before he does it. But we're not talking about the natural man when we come to this subject of praise and thanksgiving. We're talking about the spiritual man who submits to God. The will says, as David declared, I will bless the Lord at all times. Psalm 103, verse 1 begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. David had to talk to himself. He didn't feel like praising. Perhaps the circumstances were not conducive to praising, but he said, I will do it, and so you get busy and bless the Lord. You see, it has to do with your will. We deliberately purpose to praise God. I deliberately purpose to do it every day. I deliberately purpose to do it many times a day in all kinds of circumstances. Even when somebody ornery comes into my life, I say, thank you, Lord, for this person because you must have some wonderful lesson in this for me. It helps. Turn in your Bible to Revelation 19. I want you to look with me at verses 1 through 7. A large crowd in heaven is shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power to our God. And then a second time they say, Hallelujah. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne. Now notice verse 5. There comes a voice out of the throne saying, Keep it up. Do it again. And notice, they did it with a loud voice. God bless you. The Lord sanctioned their loud praise. Is that just for heaven? Notice in those verses the word servant. It is translated bond servant. The praisers are bond servants. Only redeemed men can be willing bond servants, never angels. These are people that walk this earth. These are people that sat at table with us. These are people who experienced every vicissitude of life. And what are they doing? They are saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power to our God. 
they're people who have been redeemed by the grace of God. Now the throne approved five things in this passage of Scripture. The throne approved their shouting, Hallelujah! It's in order. The throne approved them extolling the Lord as the reigning king. It is right to give him glory because he is the reigning potentate of heaven and earth. Heaven approved the falling down. For this passage says some fell down worshiping, saying, Hallelujah! And some people get very nervous in church when the bodies of people get involved in their praise and worship. But friends, it has happened all through history. They could not stand in His presence. They fell to their knees and worshiped God and heaven sanctioned it. Heaven approved all of these people doing it. And notice the wording, small and great. All of them were encouraged to join in. Not one of them was excluded. Now, you may be here for the first time today, and not every service is exactly like this one has been. Some are better. And some may not be quite as lively or the same. But that's the unique thing about God. The Holy Spirit knows what we need and we allow Him the right to direct us in any setting. And no one is excluded. You see, we don't gather here today with titles. We're just human beings who have been blessed by God and we have gathered to praise Him. And no one is excluded. We do not accept the cop-out that I am Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Catholic, and that's just not my tradition. Because heaven approved all of them joining in. And I think he approves today the same. And heaven approved the combined sound that came from their mouths. It was like a tornado in Missouri. The clap of thunder and the spawning of trouble. I was back in Missouri recently and I went through one of those storms that can come up in just minutes. They say if you don't like the weather, wait around for five minutes. It will change. And that's true. The clouds got black. The sun was darkened. The thunder began to peal. The lightning was going from one end of the sky to the other. It was magnificent. I almost felt like shouting, go to it, God, show us your power. It was magnificent. And God approved the sound that was like a hundred tornadoes coming from their lips. A magnificent sound of worship and praise. Turn back now to Psalm 95 in the Old Testament and take a look at what I call the workshop on praise in the Psalms. Number 95, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king over all the earth and above all gods. 
In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Now, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, why do we forget? How could we forget? Easy, you say. My circumstances. No. Psalm 57, 6 and 7. David was in a cave. His father-in-law Saul, the king of Israel, was ready to kill him, take his life. He was deep in a cave. Psalm 57, 6 and 7. In that position cries, my heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. I underline that word, will. I will sing. I will sing praises. You see, your will is involved. David said, I will, in spite of the fact I'm in this cave, in spite of the fact that Saul is after me, I will sing praises. Now, Robert is going to help me with a couple overheads here because I want you to write these things down and you will miss them if I just spill them out quickly. There are ten biblical praise offerings that I want to show you today and hopefully you will write down the reference. The first one is singing. The psalm is number 98 and the first verse. And we have read in many verses today about singing unto the Lord. The second one we don't understand quite as well, dancing. Psalm 30, 11. But there comes a time when the joy of the Lord is so great, your feet won't sit still. And you have to dance before the Lord. And that's what David was doing when he saw the Ark of the Covenant coming into the city. There is bowing and kneeling when you're so overwhelmed in the presence of God that the psalmist said it is appropriate to bow and to kneel in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 63, 4 is one of the hardest that I have observed with people raising hands unto the Lord. People that come in here usually sit at the back for the first time up against the wall and they, they see this raising of hands and I sometimes watch them, they get about this high waist high, and they're nervously looking around, and when we clap, they're kind of touching their fingers together lightly, but they soon find the joy and the blessing and the biblical approach to this thing of praise, and how beautiful then later to see their hands extended to the Lord and their hands clapping together, but I don't know why, but it's so hard for many to raise their hands. Spiritual arthritis takes hold of us. But when little Caleb comes to me, as he hopefully will after service today, in my office, he usually comes running in with his hands up like this. He wants Bumper to pick him up. And I pick him up. And that's a special moment for me. You see, we do it when we're little. I have need. But when we get older, we get proud and cocky and we forget how to raise our hands. Clapping, Psalm 47.1. There's a second group of five. You got those down? 
The second group begins with Psalm 150, instruments, praise him on instruments. There are certain people who do not think there should be instruments in the house of God, but I'm thankful the Bible says to praise him with cymbals, to praise him with a trumpet because I've got one, and praise him on the organ and and let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. So we praise him with instruments and how fitting it is. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You see, God likes noise once in a while when it's joyful. Shouting for joy. Singing in the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. When we just begin to sing, perhaps when the chorus ends, we just pick up the key and everybody composes their own song of praise unto the Lord. It's beautiful and God rejoices in it. A voice from the throne says, keep it up or do it again. Now there's another one and it's marvelous. Giving offerings. It's a worship. It's a praise unto the Lord. Read it in Psalm 96, 8, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 8. It's an expression of the heart unto God. And all ten of them are legitimate. All ten of them are important. Not necessarily all of them in one service. But the Holy Spirit knows what we need. And as he begins to move across the face of an audience like this, there comes spontaneous worship and thanksgiving unto God. We must not forget to praise Him and to give Him thanks. For Jesus said, if we don't praise Him, the very rocks will cry out. And I would rather do it than let the rocks do it because I have something to praise Him about. After looking at these ten things, how could you ever say worship is boring? How could people ever say, I don't like to go to church because it's so boring? I just don't understand that. Now, I suppose it could be if you go one to ten, you read the prayers, and everything is outlined and ordered, and if somebody sneezed, somebody would jump out of their seats in fright. I suppose that could be boring. But when we are in the Spirit, worship should never be boring. We should never have to leave the house of God saying that was dead. Because God knows how to bring out of us, if we're willing, true worship and praise unto His name. That's the biblical approach. Now, number two, four things to be praiseful about. And I'm just really going to race through this. Number one is our heritage. We have a national heritage. The Pilgrim Fathers crossed the Atlantic. They buried half of their company the first winter. It was not for economic freedom only that they came. They came to be able to worship the Lord according to their conscience. Have you remembered your national heritage? We have a denominational heritage. The church has been bathed in the blood, sweat, and tears of its earliest members. How we should praise God for the church. It is a heritage that I thank God for with the depths of my being. Then there is the personal heritage. I grew up in a Christian home. 
I was able to raise my children in a Christian home. They are raising their children in a Christian home. Something to pass on from generation to generation. What a heritage! I thank God for it today. I shall praise Him to the day I die for my national heritage, my church heritage, and my personal heritage. God has been in a word very good to Glenn Cole. And I want to remember not to forget. Secondly, our freedom. We have political freedom. I can go and vote as I please. I can voice my opinion. That is a sacred legacy, one not enjoyed in many parts of the world. We have social freedom. Our standard of living is high. Through hard work and God's blessing, we can achieve. That's a marvelous blessing. There is religious freedom. We can worship here without police outside our doors. We can sing, America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. I thank God for my freedom. I never want to forget to praise Him for that. Thirdly, our gospel. Our gospel has no race barrier. He hath made of one blood all nations and men for to dwell on the face of the earth. What a joy comes to my heart as I come on this platform week by week and see the racial mix at Capitol Christian Center. Whites, blacks, Hispanics, Orientals. That is as it should be. Jesus was not a white man. Divine providence arranged for him to be born in an obscure country, in a small village of relatively poor family background, more important still is the fact that the Jew's skin is olive in color, and I have learned the way to make olive is by the corrected mixture of white, black, red, and yellow. You put those four together, and you have olive, and that's what Jesus was. His gospel says, whosoever will may come, and I thank God you're here, red, yellow, black, and white. I thank God for our gospel. There's no racial barrier in our gospel. It is for every man. On Billy Graham's program this morning, I heard him pray for the new mayor in Chicago and the seeming racial issues that surrounded that election and prayed that we would not again go back into the 60s and all the riots and trouble we had. Have we not learned something, church? God loves all men, and they're all equal in God's sight, and they should be in our sight. The gospel says so. And I thank God for the gospel that throws its arms around all of us. No intellectual barrier. In this service today, there are those who haven't gone through the sixth grade. There are those who have PhDs and DDs and all kinds of stuff behind their name. But you know those people can sit down and talk together because of the gospel. The one who hasn't gotten through elementary school as well as the one who has all kinds of education. The gospel does that. We have a common topic of interest and understanding in the gospel. Hallelujah. 
The gospel bridges, the social barrier, the ghetto and the sophisticated neighborhood meet in the gospel. Some of you don't come from the swankiest neighborhood. Some of you do. So what? In the gospel we meet. And I thank God for that. This is not a church for the high. It's not a church for the low. It's the church for everybody. And the gospel bridges that social barrier. Let us never forget it. And he bridges the hereditary barrier. Some of the great leaders in our midst are those who did not come out of a Christian environment, but our gospel has made them dynamic in Christ. Many of the world's leading Christians have come from such a background. How glorious is our gospel? Are you praising God for it regularly? And then fourth, we ought to be thankful for our opportunities the personal well-being that we have, the immigrant who begins as a dishwasher and ends up owning the restaurant and the whole block. Every community has a Chinese laundry and a Chinese cafe, an immigrant who came over and worked hard and caught the whole thing. I liked a fellow who was standing in a line waiting to be interviewed for a job. He noticed the line was long. He was next to the last. He sent a note to the secretary. Take this to your boss immediately. The boss opened it. It said, don't hire anyone until you come to me. I'm the next to the last in line. I'm your man. <laughs> he got the job. Thank God for opportunities like that. Personal well-being. I'm blessed. How about you? I had a neighbor by the name of Dick Jones. Dick was a pilot. He was flying his little plane, Vancouver, Washington area, one day, and another pilot got out of his proper course and hit my neighbor, Dick, with his plane, drove him to the ground. I got word of it, got to the hospital many miles away, and Dick was terribly broken. I couldn't believe it. It's one of the few times in my life I started to pass out as I looked at my friend, my neighbor. Huge spikes through his legs because of the holding a bone together. And he was in the most unbelievable situation. His face totally scarred. I had to look close before I knew it was my neighbor. I couldn't recognize him. His body broken. And I quick grabbed a chair and sat down and laid my head on the bed because I went out for a few moments at what I was experiencing. And then I laid my hands on Dick and prayed. And Dick, in his terrible pain, horrible condition, said a word that is so beautiful. He said, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. And I went my way wondering how this man would ever live, how he would ever walk, how he would ever, ever function again. But just a year ago right now, my phone rang. And it was Dick Jones. He said, Pastor Cole, I'm passing through town with my family. Could we meet? I said, where are you? Way out on the west side. I made a beeline. There was his wife, his two little kids. Dick Jones was walking. Dick Jones was functioning. He looked fantastic. 
What did he say? I'm thankful, Pastor. I'm thankful. The well-being that we have in this great land. We get broken sometimes, but God comes along and heals us, puts us together. We get out of work sometimes, but God provides jobs. We're so blessed, but we're so, so unthankful. How could we ever forget the opportunities that are ours? We call this the land of opportunity, which brings responsibility. I think God is calling us as a church and as a people to bring our loaves and fishes before they grow stale before they spoil. It is better to bring our box of spikenard before it sours, our rods, our spears, our pitchers, as did Moses, Joshua, and Gideon before God passes us by. And I think most of all, he wants us to bring our thanksgiving for all the opportunities that he's given us. I hope you're motivated today. I feel so motivated. I'm just broken inside to give him glory, to give him thanks. I want to be a disciple of his by properly identifying with him, and I cannot unless my mouth is open in praise, unless my hands are raised in worship, unless my knee is bowed in humility, unless I am a grateful man for all that God bestows upon my life. The fellow saw his girlfriend to the door. On his way home, he had to walk through the cemetery, and he heard footsteps behind him, so he quickened his, and so did the ones behind him. He started running, and so did the ones behind him. He glanced over his shoulder, and sure enough, it was a ghost. He ran as far as he could and got exhausted, sat down on a flat tombstone, and sure enough, so did the ghost. There was a long pause, and not the one that refreshes. <laughs> Finally, the ghost said, Say, that was quite a race we had, wasn't it? <laughs> this guy was so scared, he couldn't say a thing for a moment. Finally, he was able to whisper, Mister, you just wait till I get my breath. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> That's the way I feel right now. Maybe the devil has put you down. Maybe you're in the pits, but you say, devil, you ain't seen nothing yet. You just wait till I get my second win. Hallelujah. Mendelssohn came to see the great Freiburg organ in Germany, the old city that manufactures beautiful instruments. The custodian didn't know who he was. He said, no, you can't play that instrument. After much persuasion, the custodian said, I'll let you play a few notes. Mendelssohn sat down, began to play that magnificent organ. Wonderful music broke forth from that beautiful instrument. Soon that custodian, spellbound, was standing by Mendelssohn's side, and he said, who are you? What is your name? He said, I'm Mendelssohn. The custodian said in embarrassment and humility, and I refused you permission to play upon my organ. There comes one to us today who desires to take our lives and play upon them. 
one who desires our praise and our worship, one who bestows blessing after blessing upon him, but we withhold ourselves from him while he's waiting to bring heavenly music upon our souls. No wonder the Bible has to cry out over and over again, Oh, praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Because we forget, and we must not forget. There came a voice out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, small and great, who fear him. I fear him. I am in awe of him. His majesty, his glory, his salvation, his wonder. I bow before him. I raise my hands unto him. I open my mouth to bless his name. I don't want to forget praise and thanksgiving. My greatest tools in life. Stand with me, please, all over the auditorium. Would you mind raising your two hands upward? Would you mind opening your mouth and just saying something to God? Something like, thank you, Lord. Something like, I bless you, Lord. Something like, I worship you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 I sing praises to thy name, O Most High. I sing praises to thy name, O Holy One. For thou art holy and worthy to receive praises, praises to thy name. Oh, hallelujah. Let us be a praising fellowship, Lord, a grateful people. A thankful people, Lord. Oh, receive our praise and our worship. I sing praises to thy name.